Good morning. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Good to see so many here. Um, I hope this is a wonderful holiday. I hope nobody has to work tomorrow. I hope you get to be with people you love this weekend. I hope you get to be with food you love (laughs) in a country that you love with a Lord that we love. And I hope you keep your animals safe. Hard, hard holiday for animals, all that noise. So in preparation for the message today, I want to ask you a question. It's a serious question, and I think I know what the answer is, but I want to ask you anyway, because I want you to think about it, because I've been thinking about it all week, and that's it. And here's the question. Do you ever struggle with your faith? Are there times where you feel like you want to believe, but you can't believe as much as you'd like to? Doubts? Come, come in. The Bible tells us that faith is absolute confidence in a God we can't see. And that's the problem for us, right? We cannot see God, but we sure can see our problems. They're hard to miss. Have you ever been struggling so much in a situation, maybe you're struggling today, where you prayed kind of a prayer of weak faith. God, can, can you do anything? Is there anything you can do in this situation to help? We're going to read today about a man that asked Jesus that question. He faced the Son of God. He stood face to face with him and he looked him in the eye and said, Jesus, um, if there's anything you can do, will you help? And the Lord's answer to this man gives us one of the greatest promises in the entire Bible. Before we read that together, please join me in prayer. Father, we come before you grateful for our nation. Thank you for America, Lord. We know we're not the country that you want us to be. We know our country does not honor you. But we honor you and we thank you. We are grateful that you had us born in the land of the free. We do not take that for granted. And and now, Lord, as we open your word... It is your word. It's your word that we've come to hear. We ask your spirit to be our teacher. Stretch our hearts to increase our faith as only you can do. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 9. If you remember last week, we were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And... Jesus was there with Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples. So the question is, while Jesus and three of the disciples were away, what were the other nine disciples doing? We're going to find out by reading this passage. uh, We are in verses 14 to 29 of Mark chapter 9. Verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. <coughs> the outline for this passage has got two parts. The first part, we read about imperfect faith. Our faith is imperfect. But then the last part of this passage, we read about our perfect Savior. This is a wonderful passage to read if you ever struggle with your faith. It shows us the difference between our imperfect faith and our perfect Savior. Look at verse 14 again. <clears throat> when they, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. These teachers of the law were not attorneys. These were teachers of the law of Moses. They were called scribes. The scribes hated Jesus. They rejected him as their Messiah. So while Jesus was away, the nine disciples got themselves in a bit of trouble. They tried to cast a demon out of this boy, and they failed. And by failing, they just gave the scribes a golden opportunity to swoop in and take over the, the scene and argue with them and accuse them and do whatever they could to discredit, discredit the disciples because if they could discredit the disciples, of course, then they would be discrediting Jesus. This passage shows us not only what happened to the disciples, but it shows us what happens to any of us if we try to do the Lord's work without Jesus being present. There is no substitute for the Lord. If Jesus is not front and center of our ministries, it doesn't matter how many volunteers we have. It doesn't matter what skills we have or experience. It doesn't matter how much time we put in on it. We are going to find ourselves surrounded by trouble and failure just like the disciples when they were trying to do this work without Jesus being present. Last week, if you remember, the Lord was on the Mount of Transfiguration where he was glorified in his eternal state. In this passage, Jesus sets his glory aside and he walks back down the mountain to care for the lost. This is the second time that Jesus laid his glory aside. The first time was when he was in heaven and he set aside his eternal glory to come to earth to once again save the lost. This is just my imagination, but I imagine Jesus was still a good distance away when he could hear those angry voices, those shouts, that argument. 
And as he got closer, he found his disciples, the nine disciples, surrounded by scribes. And of course, there was a much bigger crowd around him because people like to show up when there's a fight. The Greek word for argue here means a combative exchange. This was not a healthy debate. This was mean-spirited. The the scribes were attacking with accusations and hostility. And in this was a desperate man with a demon-possessed child that was getting totally lost in this scuffle. What a sharp contrast to the peace and blessedness and glory where Jesus had just been on the mountain. Verse 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. This is a departure from what we've read before in Mark. Usually people are filled with wonder after Jesus speaks to them. But here they are so excited to see him, they, they ran right away. I, I'm guessing they also ran to get away from the scribes. Scribes love to argue. If you notice in the passage we read, they blamed the disciples for not being able to cast out the demon, but none of the scribes tried to cast out the demon. As soon as Jesus showed up, they left the scribes because the scribes were talkers, not doers. Jesus was a doer. Scribes were talkers. Have you ever been around a know-it-all? Don't you want to run away from them just like the crowd did here from the scribes? Here's a question for you and for me. Which one are we? Are we talkers or are we doers? If we're talkers, it means we love to quote scripture and apply it to somebody else but we're not very good at obeying it ourselves. That was what the scribes did. If we're doers, then it means the desire of our heart is to put God's word into action in our lives. Whether we know a lot of Bible or just a little bit, whatever we know, we want to obey it and follow it. Verse 16, Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? Talking to the scribes. This question was really a command to the scribes to bring their fight to him not to the disciples. We don't know how many scribes were there, but we do know this. None of them answered Jesus' question. I imagine they were all doing this right about then. They were all looking down at their sandals, you know, looking at the ground, looking anywhere they could, except they did not want to make eye contact with the Son of God. One person answered Jesus' question. Only one man's voice broke that awkward silence. We see it in verse 17. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son. He's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him to the ground. If you have the New American Standard, it says it slams him to the ground. This was a violent spirit. The boy foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Is there anything worse than feeling helpless when somebody you love is hurting and there's nothing you can do to help them? Isn't that terrible? This this father had watched his son tormented for years. Nothing he could do except bring his son to Jesus. Let me say this to the fathers and grandfathers in the room. We're never helpless. We're never helpless when we bring our children before the Lord in prayer and our grandchildren. Man, this is a 
direct challenge to you and to me to pray for our families. You know, it's great to be a breadwinner. It's greater in the eyes of God to be a prayer warrior for our families. Well, here's kind of a tough question. When things go wrong, what are we best at doing? Worrying? Cursing? Just getting busy, do something, whether it helps or not? Or prayer? Praying? Is prayer our first thought or our last thought? Or no thought at all? Look how Jesus answered. He said, verse 19, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. This exorcism had turned into a circus, and Jesus had no intention of being the ringmaster for this. Jesus is addressing his rebuke to the scribes and the onlookers, these unbelieving onlookers. And if his words seem strong or harsh, they are consistent with how the Lord has spoken before when confronted with unbelieving people. If you remember the Old Testament, then Jesus' words might remind you of something the Lord said to Moses about 1,500 years before this happened. The Lord had miraculously led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Do you remember? And he brought them to the promised land. And to get them out of Egypt, the Lord had to part the Red Sea. The Lord defeated the Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world at that time. And God gave them food and water. He led them as a pillar of fire by night and a column of smoke by day. But when they came to the border of the land of Canaan, they found out that there were big powerful enemies in the land of Canaan. So what did the people do? They rebelled against God and wanted to go back to Egypt. Let me have uh, Numbers 14.11. See if this doesn't sound very close to what Jesus just said. So the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? In the passage we just read in Mark, this is exactly what Jesus is saying 1,500 years later. People are still rebelling, still unbelieving. He said, you unbelieving generation, you people still don't believe in me? How long shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? He's saying, how much more do I need to do? How much more do I need to show you? At this point in the Lord's ministry, he had done more than enough miracles. He had performed more than enough signs to prove he was the Messiah. Yet people still did not believe. They just wanted more. Give us more. More entertainment. More thrills. Before we judge those people too harshly, how are we doing? Are we doing much better than them? For those of us who have seen the Lord's faithfulness in our lives, time and time again, maybe for years. Do we still worry sometimes? Do we still complain? Do we still act sometimes as as if God isn't even there? Every time I've read this passage since I was young, I always wonder, how many times has the Lord said this about me? How many times in heaven has the Lord said, how much longer do I have to put up with Dave? It's wonderful to have his promise that he will put up with me forever and for all of us that love him and trust him. Verse 20. So they, the people, brought the demon-possessed boy to Jesus. And when the spirit inside the boy saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. 
The boy fell to the ground, <coughs> rolled around, foaming at the mouth. What a thing to watch. Verse 19, Jesus commanded, bring the boy to me. And verse 20, they brought the boy to Jesus, but the evil spirit saw the Lord and threw the boy into this terrible convulsion. You know what this shows us? Satan ruins those he rules. The devil's grip is tight around the sinner's throat. He does not let go of us easily. But as we've seen before, gratefully, Satan and his demons are powerless in the presence of Jesus. Powerless. Nothing they can do. They are powerless. Verses 21-22. Now we're really getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered, he has often thrown himself into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. When Jesus asked how long the boy had been like this, Jesus knew the history. He wasn't looking for facts. He asked the question because he knew this would get the father to express his heart. This is the first time we find out that this demon was actually trying to kill this boy. So not only was he hurting the boy, his, his, the, the goal of the demon was to kill him. He often fell into water and fire. I don't know if you fall into water a lot. I imagine that doesn't leave a physical mark on your body, but I, falling into fire does. So I have to wonder if this boy was covered with scars. Maybe he was even disfigured from all the times this demon had pushed him into flames and red-hot embers. This boy had been tormented for so long. Jesus was the only hope for this desperate father. But the dad wasn't sure, he wasn't 100% sure if Jesus could actually cure his son. So he honestly said, when he faced the Son of God, if you can do something, take pity, help us. Let's read how our perfect Savior answers per imperfect faith. Verse 23 and verse 24. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. <clears throat> Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus repeated the father's words right back to him. If you can, if you can, Jesus wanted that man, Jesus wanted all of us to understand the issue was not Jesus' lack of power. The question was the man's lack of faith. All through the Bible, cover to cover, God's power is never in question. Our faith, the amount of our faith, always is in question. And the Lord's answer in verse 23 is, is truly one of the great promises in Scripture. Look at it again. This is a good verse to memorize because it's short. Everything is possible for those that believe. Jesus did not say some things are possible. Jesus didn't even say most things are possible. Jesus didn't tell this man, this desperate man, go to my website, take your problem, look it up and see if your problem is covered. He said everything, even this, even that problem that's on your mind right now for yourselves, everything is possible for God. In other words, everything that is impossible for you and I is possible for the Lord. 
Faith in Jesus is the one thing that can accomplish everything. Faith in Jesus is the one thing that can absolutely accomplish everything. I'd like to put this on the screen. This is a a quote I found from uh, James Edwards in his commentary. He said, The only bridge or the sole bridge between our frail humanity and the all-sufficiency of God is faith. We need a bridge because there's a gap. We're weak. We have doubts. And the only gap between us from our weakness to the almighty, all-powerful God is our faith. Faith is the bridge to the almighty. Faith is speaking God's language so that he hears us and more importantly, we hear him. Jesus looked into the boy's father's eyes and he said, I can heal your, I can heal your son if you believe I can, if you have faith in me. And in that instant, the father recognized something horrible. He realized he did not have the faith that Jesus required. He brought his boy to be healed, but right when he faced the Lord, he realized in this moment, when his son's life was at stake, he did not have the faith. He went to his pantry of faith, and when he opened the door and he looked in, his cupboards were pretty bare. So what did he do? What can any of us do when we don't have the faith we need? He did the only thing he could possibly do. He did the best thing he could possibly do. He confessed it. He confessed it to Jesus and he immediately said, the scripture says immediately, he said, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. This desperate man did have some amount of faith because he brought his boy to Jesus to be healed in the first place. But he also recognized he had doubts. Haven't we all been there? So he pleaded, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This man did not rebel against what Jesus said. When Jesus said, everything is possible, this man did not scoff at it. He didn't deny it. He desired it. But it just sounded too good to be true. So a crowd of onlookers was there. They came to see Jesus cast the demon out of the boy. But the bigger miracle that they missed, by the way, and I hope we don't miss, The bigger miracle isn't what happened to the boy. It's what happened to the dad. This dad traded his insufficiency for the complete sufficiency of Jesus. This dad exchanged the impossible for the possible with one short, imperfect prayer. He told the Lord, I do believe a little or as much as I can. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my doubts. The man basically prayed something I've prayed many, many times. Lord, I, I can take one step, or maybe I can take two steps of faith, but you're going to have to carry me the rest of the way. This man showed the conflict you and I all, we all have between our faith and our unfaith, if unfaith is a word. He knew what he wanted badly. He wanted to believe, but like cold water on a flame, his doubts were extinguishing his hope. <clears throat> you find yourself in that place? Maybe you're sitting here now feeling encouraged, and you go home and your, your doubts come back and just extinguish your hope. Jesus asked the man how long his son had been possessed because Jesus knew this was the key 
time was the key that he needed to unlock to get this father to unburden his heart and say what he was really thinking. This man came knowing that his son had been possessed, tormented for years, as if time, as if time is somehow a barrier to the eternal God. We, we think these things, don't we? Don't we think, well, Jesus can't help me here. My debt is too big. The Lord can't help me. The doctor says I'm too sick. He can't help me. My situation is just too complicated. My boss is too mean. Whatever. As if, again, we think Almighty God is limited by the things that limit us. The great news in the Word of God is that God is not limited by anything. He is, has unlimited power, wisdom, and love. This passage that we're reading today gives us one of the great definitions of what faith means. I'd like to put that definition on the screen for you. Faith is the decision that Jesus is able, even when our circumstances tell us he's not. Faith is a decision. It's not a warm and fuzzy feeling. It can be. But more than that, it's a decision we make with our mind and with our heart. We need to decide Jesus is able, even when our circumstances tell us he's not. Do we all believe that Jesus is able? Let's find out. I want to ask you two questions that I've been asking myself all week. These are not easy questions, let me warn you. Question number one. What are you worried about today? What has you stressed? What is causing you to lose sleep? What are you worried about today? Question two. What is stopping you from giving it to Jesus and trusting him completely? Whatever is stopping you is the very thing you need to confess and hand to the Lord, just like this man needed to do. You're not alone when you struggle with your faith. Every one of us, every day, every minute, need to get our eyes off of our circumstances and back onto the Lord. I know, I can feel it. When my eyes are drifting to my problems, the stress just comes up. And I know what the problem is. I'm looking there. I'm not looking at him. I have prayed, Lord, help my unbelief more times than I could count. Notice in our passage, the scribes didn't ask Jesus to help them with their unbelief. Neither did anybody else in that crowd. Only one man, only the, that father, asked Jesus to help him with his imperfect faith. And the Lord responded to his imperfect faith by doing a perfect work. Jesus healed that boy. When your faith is weak, please remember this. Weak faith is still faith. Jesus still hears that prayer of weak faith. This story would have had a much different and a very tragic ending had the father been discouraged and thought, I don't have enough faith, and he turned and he walked away. When we realize our faith is lacking, we can't let that discourage us. We have to let it motivate us to seek the Lord all the more in his word and in prayer and one other way we have our faith grow. Do you think that man's faith grew when he saw Jesus heal his son? Sure. 
This is how our faith grows too. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, as the Lord answers our bumbling, fumbling, awkward prayers, our weaknesses, our weak faith, our doubts, as the Lord continues to show his faithfulness day by day, we grow in our faith. It grows deeper day by day. Think about this with me. Is there a greater privilege? Is there a greater opportunity in the whole world than what we see right here? Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. Almighty God, the sustainer of heaven and earth. Our prayer hearing and prayer answering God is saying to you and saying to me, whatever is bothering you, whatever impossible situation you're in, give it to me. I can make the impossible possible. Everything is possible if you trust me. What greater privilege and opportunity do we have than that? Verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. I can't help myself. I always wonder how the crowd ran to the scene. If they're wearing robes and things and sandals, you know, that's got to be hard to do. I don't know how they do. They hike up their robes when they run. I'm just trying to picture what that looks like with a whole crowd. Sorry for the demonstration. But, you know, I just wonder how they, this whole crowd of people came running. Anyway, Jesus was attracting too much attention. He always did. So he decided right then and there to cast out the demon without further delay. Jesus rebuked this powerful demon that nobody else could control. And then he commanded the evil spirit, come out of that boy and don't ever enter him again. Only someone in complete authority can do that. Jesus has complete authority over the supernatural world. And remember in Mark, as we've been reading, all the other miracles Jesus has performed, we've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him feed thousands of people with just a couple of fish and some loaves. We've seen him command the wind and the the waves of the sea to obey him. Clearly, Jesus also has complete authority over the natural world. This means Jesus has power over everything we can see, the natural world. And Jesus has power over everything we cannot see, the supernatural world. And it means that Jesus has unlimited power and authority over absolutely everything. That's why he can promise us, and that's why he can back up that promise that everything is possible when we trust the person that can do the impossible and is in charge of everything. After Jesus commanded the demon to come out, let's read what happened next. Verse 26. The spirit shrieked, convulsed the boy violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. This demon did as much damage as he possibly could before he left the boy. And talk about testing your faith. This man prayed and it looked like his son's condition just went from bad to worse. The boy looked like a corpse, it says. If you were the boy's father at this moment, what would you be thinking? You just put your fledgling faith in the Lord and your boy just died. When the evil spirit departed, the demon left that boy in a coma or some kind of death-like condition. It was so convincing that the Bible says most everybody there said he's dead. 
So imagine you're the father. You've got this little bit of faith. You've just tried, you've given to the Lord, and now everybody's standing around you saying, oh my gosh, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. You'd hear that, he's dead, he's dead, going all the way through the crowd. But was the boy dead? No. boy wasn't dead. This shows us we cannot always believe what we think we see. And we certainly can't believe what we hear everybody saying. The only thing we can truly always believe with confidence is the Lord. Verse 27, Jesus took the boy by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. When Jesus lifted the boy to his feet, in the Greek it literally means Jesus raised him and the boy was resurrected. This is exactly what Jesus came to do. It's why he came down the mountain. He set his glory aside. He came to resurrect that boy. He came down from heaven to resurrect you and me. I'd like to put Ephesians 2 on the screen. You know this passage very well, I'm sure. But think of it now in context with what we just read about Jesus raising this boy. Ephesians 2, 1 to 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them and at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. All of us at one time were just like that boy. We were under Satan's control, his power. There wasn't thing one we could do about it. We were lost until God sent Jesus who outstretched his hands and he reached for us and he pulled us up out of our sin, out of death and raised us up into life, into heaven, eternal life. Verse 28 and 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Again, I'm just using my imagination, but don't you imagine that door barely closed before the disciples were circling Jesus? The nine disciples who were left were standing around Jesus going, okay, tell us, please, why could we not drive out that demon? They had to be confused. They were probably embarrassed. And let me show you why. You're in Mark chapter 9. Turn back a few chapters to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 7 and then verse 12 and 13. (coughs) This is why the disciples had every right to be confused. I would be. Mark 6, chapter 6, verse 7. Calling the twelve, the twelve disciples to him, Jesus began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. He gave him, Jesus gave them authority over demons. Then look, look ahead to verse 12 and 13. The disciples went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons. 
Well, nuts. What's going on here? In chapter 6, they, were, they had authority and they were casting out demons. Then they get to chapter 9. They didn't know they were in chapter 9. We know they're in chapter 9. But when they got to chapter 9, suddenly they could not cast one demon out of one boy. What was the problem? So they asked Jesus, what did we do wrong? Jesus explained, this kind can only come out by prayer. Apparently some demons are, are more powerful and obstinate than others. They require more faith to come out. You know, it's possible that the disciples could not exercise the demon because maybe they were overconfident, but the scripture doesn't tell us that. What the scripture does show us is that Jesus is not rebuking those disciples. He's explaining to them. He's explaining the way for them to increase their faith. He's explaining to you and I how to increase our faith. It's through prayer. Prayer draws us closer to the heart of God. When we come close to God in prayer, it's like a child putting the ear on the Father's chest. We can hear God's heartbeat. We are closer we get to God, the more we are aware of His will and His power. The closer we get to God, the bigger God gets. And the larger God gets in our eyes of faith, the smaller our problems become. When we're looking at the Lord, our problems just don't seem so big as they were before. Let me close with these concluding thoughts. From this passage, I think we see that life can be difficult. You've probably noticed. Life can be very difficult. God knows that. That's why he never intended for us to go through life without him. Our Lord in his kindness and in his grace does not demand perfect faith from imperfect people like you and like me. If we want to grow our faith, we need to pay attention. What do we need to pay attention to? We need to pay attention to the things that Jesus is doing in our life every minute of every day. The little answers to our imperfect prayers that the Lord is graciously answering. Sometimes before we can look forward in faith, we need to look back at his faithfulness to us to remind ourselves that he can be trusted because he can always be trusted. And finally, we can never rely on our own faith, our own strength. We can only rely on his strength. We express our dependency on the Lord most beautifully when we fall at his feet in prayer and we pray, Lord, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. If you are struggling with something in your life right now, our prayer team is going to be over here in just a few moments after this song, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you about anything. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we bow before you so grateful for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for loving us despite of ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for your everlasting patience with us. Jesus, you're our only hope. Forgive, forgive us, but sometimes we come with doubts. Please help us overcome our unbelief. Lord, we do want to trust you. We want to believe that everything is possible. We want to trust you no matter what. But sometimes our faith is small. Please help us overcome our unbelief. Forgive us for worrying, Father. Instead of being warriors, help us become faithful readers and obeyers of your word. Lord, we want to be doers, not talkers. 
Lord, we forgive us for our complaints and our fretting. Help us become committed prayer warriors. We ask all of this in the name of the one who came and said that everything is possible when we believe in you and we do believe in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.